For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Uh, this is a reading from Acts 27. As soon as arrangements were completed for our sailing to Italy, Paul and a few other prisoners were placed under the supervision of a centurion named Julius, a member of an elite guard. We boarded a ship from Adramidium. Thank you. <laughs> I practiced that. Really, I did. Sorry. That was bound for Ephesus in Ports West. Aristarchus, a Macedonian for Thessalonica, went with us. The next day we put in at Sidon. Julius treated Paul most decently, led him off the ship and, en and enjoyed the hospitality of his friends there. Out to sea again, we sailed north under the protection of the northeast shore of Cyprus because winds out of the west were against us, and then along the coast westward to the port of Myra. There, the centurion found an Egyptian ship headed for Italy and, tr and transferred us on board. We ran into bad weather and found it impossible to stay on course. After much difficulty, we finally made it to the southern coast of the island of Crete and docked at Good Harbor. By this time, we had lost a lot of time. We had passed through the autumn equinox, so it would be stormy weather from now on through the winter. Too dangerous for sailing. Paul warned, I see only disaster ahead for cargo and ship, to say nothing for our lives if we put out to sea now. But it was not the best harbor for staying the winter. Phoenix, a few miles further on, was more suitable. The, the centurion set Paul's warning aside and let the ship captain and ship owner talk him into trying for the next harbor. When a gentle southerly breeze came up, they weighed anchor, thinking it would be smooth sailing, but they were no sooner out to sea than a gale force wind, the infamous nor'easter, struck. They, they lost all control of the ship. It was a cork in the storm. We came under the lee of the small island of Clauda, and managed to get a lifeboat ready and reef the sails. But rocky shoals prevented us from getting close. We only managed to avoid them by throwing out drift anchors. Next day, out on the high seas again and badly damaged by now by the storm, we dumped the cargo overboard. The third day, the sailors lightened the ship further by throwing off all the tackle and provisions. It may have been days since we had e either, it had been many days since we had either sun or stars. Wind and waves were battering us unmercifully, and we lost all hope of rescue. With our appetite for both food and life long gone, Paul took his place in the midst and said, friends, you really should have listened to me back in Crete. We could have avoided all the trouble, all this trouble and trial, but there's no need to dwell on that now. From now on, things look, are looking up. I can assure 
I can assure you that there will not be a single drowning among us, although I can't say it's as much for the ship. The ship itself is doomed. Last night, God's angel stood at my side, the angel of this God I serve, saying to me, don't give up, Paul. You're going to stand before Caesar yet, and everyone sailing with you is also going to make it. So, dear friends, take heart. I believe God will do exactly what he told me. But we're going to shipwreck on some island or other. On the 14th night, adrift somewhere in the Adriatic Sea, at about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. Sounding, they measured a depth of 120 feet, and shortly after that, 90 feet. Afraid that they were about to run aground, they threw out four anchors and prayed for daylight. Some of the sailors tried to jump ship. They let down the lifeboat, pretending, to, pretending they were going to set out more anchors from the bow. Paul saw through this guise and told the centurion and the soldiers, if these sailors don't stay with the ship, we're all going to drown. We're all going down, excuse me. So the soldiers cut the lines of the lifeboat and let it drift off. With dawn about to break, Paul called everyone together and proposed breakfast. This is the 14th day we've gone without food. None of us has felt like eating, but I urge you to eat something now. You'll need strength for the rescue ahead. You're going to come out of this without even a scratch. He broke the bread, gave thanks to God, passed it around, and they all ate heartily, 276 of us all told. With the meal finished and everyone full, the ship, the ship was further lightened by dumping the grain overboard. At daybreak, no one recognized the land, but they did notice a beach with a, a bay with a nice beach. They decided to try to run the ship aground up to the beach. They cut the anchors, loosed the tiller, raised the sail, and ran before the wind toward the beach, but they didn't make it. Still, far from shore, they hit a reef, and the ship began to break up. The soldiers decided to kill the prisoners so none could escape by swimming, but the centurion, determined to save Paul, stopped them. He gave orders for everyone who could swim to dive in and go for it, and for the rest to grab a plank Everyone made it to the shore safely. Word of the Lord. Um, I am wondering if someone in the incredible worship team would let me use one of these stands here, if that's possible. I don't know where you are. Can I get a head nod or a just take it from the rest? Uh, I will certainly do that. Uh, my name is Dee McIntosh. I'm the pastor at Lighthouse, and I am uh, excited to be here with you all this morning. Now, I was told uh, that I don't have much time, given that I forced us to read an entire chapter uh, of the Bible. You know, it's always odd when you come to church and people are like, wait a minute, I have to read all 42 verses, you know? Yes, you know, that's a part of uh, Christian practice here. But uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to jump right in if that's okay. Uh, I know that we are in Genesis, but I am representing Lighthouse, and I got my Lighthouses with me, so uh, we're going to do it. There's nothing uh, to it but to do it. So that's an odd context for the church. Uh, so let's go ahead and 
uh, dive in. What we're looking at here in the story of Paul is often a very rarely preached text, but there's so much goodness, ooey-gooey goodness, uh, that is here in this message because what we have right here in the entire 42 verses of Acts 27 is a survival guide to how do you survive the Christian faith. This is what we have, a survival guide. Because the reality is, is that you all know this, as believers in Christ, we encounter the storms of life all of the time. And what I have found in my journey is that we tend to be ill-equipped for the storms that we are about to endure. Now, the reality is, is I grew up in Miami, Florida. And when you grow up in Miami, Florida, you begin to realize that every storm is very different from the next. Not every storm has thunder. Not every storm has lightning. Not every storm has flooding and turbulent rains. Not every storm has the winds that cause us to flow and move. But even in the multiplicity of storms, a storm is yet and still a storm. And so what we have here in the text of Paul is how do we endure the storms of life as believers so that when we come out of the storm, we still have the amount of integrity and character necessary to still proclaim that we are, in fact, those who will show the world that, in fact, the sun did come to earth. So what we're going to do, I have seven points, and I got to get through them fast. You see how my, speed, my speaking begins to speed up? This is a Miami thing. When I get excited, I start talking really fast. So if you can't understand me, I can't help it. I just have to keep talking very fast. Okay. <laughs> so what we see here in this story is that Paul is getting on a ship, and he's heading towards Italy. Paul couldn't keep his mouth closed because he spoke too much too soon. He ends up having to get on a boat to Caesar to petition the reason why he should not be a prisoner to Rome. And so Paul gets on this ship. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you would know that at this point in the journey, Paul has already been shipwrecked three times. So to begin, don't get on a boat with Paul. You know what I mean? That should have been the number one point of the survival guide. Never get on a boat with someone who's been shipwrecked three times. Right? What are the odds of that? That's like someone getting struck by lightning three times. So they get on this boat, and they're heading towards Italy. And as soon as they get on the boat, Paul begins to have some inward rumbling that something is amiss. The one, number one, per, perhaps the first point of our survival guide on how do you endure this thing called the Christian faith is that we have to begin to listen to the inner voice within inside of ourselves. We have to begin to follow the counsel of our inner being. And we see this because as soon as they get on the boat, Paul begins by saying, I see only disaster ahead for cargo and ship to say nothing of our lives if we go out to sea now. We have to listen to that internal rumbling, which can be very difficult when you're surrounded by people who perhaps know about storms better than you. And so Paul says this, he says, we should not go out to sea, but naturally the centurion is not going to listen to Paul, this man who's a prisoner on the ship. He's going to listen to the ship captain and the ship owner. And so they set out for sea, and as they're out for sea, they begin to notice the small, gentle winds begin to blow and flow, and they begin to perceive and think to themselves that this will be a decent journey, and then the storms of life really begin to rage. I have to say this, that the storms of life is not always chaos and conflict. 
It's not always when our lives are up in the throes of anxiety. Sometimes the storms of life can be barren seasons. And I say barren seasons not to be insensitive to those women and families that have endured the struggles of infertility, but to mark a very poignant part of Christian faith is that we endure barren seasons that are scripturally present in almost every single chapter of the Bible. Book, I should say. And so sometimes we feel like we're that hamster on that wheel going around and around and around. I'm not where I thought I should be at this point of my life. I'm not where I would love to be. That can be a stormy season. And so as they continue on their journey, the second point is this. They continue on this journey. Paul's inner being is saying something is amiss. There's a storm that is approaching. No one listens to his cry, and then they come across a harbor, a port called Good Harbor. Second point, not every place of safety and security is actually a place of safety and security that is needed for the time in your season. Not every port is suitable for docking. If I could just get you to marinate on that, it would save us so much heartache in the end. Not every relationship is good harbor. Not every friendship, not every place, not every place and opportunity that arises. This new job looks very fantastic until you get in it and then you realize I was actually better off where I once was. Not every port is suitable for docking. And so when they realize that good harbor is not suitable for docking, they continue on their journey. And then the winds begin to change. Once again, they get this kind of 15 minute break. In my Christian walk, I always ask Jesus for 15 minute breaks, particularly in stormy seasons where I say, if you could just give me 15 minutes to just hang out by myself, sit in a corner and stare at a wall, that would be fantastic before you keep bombarding me with all of these things. You know, apparently I'm the only person that asks for 15 minutes. I feel like it's too much to ask for like a day, a day and a half. I start feeling selfish. So if you can just give me 15 minutes, you know, that's what I ask my kids and my husband, just give me 15 minutes. I promise I'll come back, you know? And so what they get, what they get is 15 minutes. They've been in a storm now for days. And then the winds get gentle and they get that 15 minutes. And this is the, illu- this is the illusion that the storm has passed. And so my third point is don't fall for the illusion that the storm has passed because you just, because you instead got 15 minute break. And so they get this 15 minutes of break and they begin to say, oh my goodness, the storm has passed. We'll be fine. We'll get to where we're going. And then just like the storms in Miami, the winds begin to pick up and they are tossed back out to sea. The Bible says, when us gentle southerly breeze came up, thinking that it would be smooth sailing, they were surprised when they lost all control of the ship. And the ship began to toss and turn, and they were thrown hither and thither. That's my favorite saying, hither and thither. And then they did something that I didn't know that was a nautical term. I actually found this out. They began to frapping. Have you guys, are you guys familiar with this? Frapping the boat. It's when you are in a very difficult storm and you begin to 
undergird the boat with strong cables to protect the boat from shattering in the midst of the storm. It is at this point where I have witnessed so many believers falter and fail because we fail to gird ourselves in the midst of the storm for the journey. It's this part, not being able to discern and predict that the storm is coming, not being able to take those 15 minutes to stare at a wall and look like a crazy person as you're rocking in that rocking chair, but it is, in fact, our inability to recognize that we have to gird ourselves in the midst of the storm. So let me give you this imagery because this helped me. So in the midst of a storm, the boat is flailing and wailing and your bodies are falling all over the place. Did anyone see that video of that, that cruise ship in Norway? This past weekend, did you guys see that? And people are being flung to and fro. When you, when you go about frapping a ship in the midst of a storm, you first have to anchor yourself to the ship so that as the winds are blowing, you don't get blown out into the sea. And then you begin the process of wrapping the sturdy cables around the ship so that even if it is damaged, the ship and the hull stays together. See, anchoring ourselves is what we have to get better at as believers. We have to anchor ourselves, creating this treasure trove of ooey-gooey goodness so that when I'm in the midst of the storm and I can't bear to come to church because I can't handle anyone saying that God is good and faithful, I know I have a treasure trove. See, at Lighthouse, we say, I say this quite often, is that when you have a pastor who is prophetic, every message that I deliver is not for you in that season. But if you trust my capacity to hear God, then what you know is that while it may not be for me in this particular season, there is a season that will come where I become reminded of the messages that were preached. So Genesis, this is also true of Steve. Every message that Steve preaches is not for me at this particular time. It's a good message, but it's not for me in this season. But if I build a treasure trove of messages, that anchors me in the season of a storm. And then I began to frap myself with scripture. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing that I desire of the Lord that will I seek that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Then I began to wrap myself with prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then I begin to frap myself with fasting. I begin to frap myself with my church and my faith community. I begin to frap myself so that I have the capacity to endure the storm with integrity and character. But because we tend not to frap ourselves, we just continue, we, con we constantly crumble in the face of a storm. The fifth point is this, is that in the midst of the storm, they do something else that is interesting. The Bible says on the next day on the high seas again, seeing how badly damaged we have been by the storm, we began to dump the cargo overboard. And then after that, the following day, the soldiers lightened the, the sailors lightened the load by throwing off all of the tackle and the provisions. See, what happens in the midst of a storm tends to be a deconstruction process through the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. 
See, the first thing that tends to go are the unnecessary things that we have surrounded ourselves with. Sometimes that's social media, sometimes that's binge eating or binge watching Netflix. That's my personal favorite. And we begin to realize that if I'm going to endure through this storm, I can no longer hold on to these unnecessary things that I have been carting with me through this journey. The second part, which is actually the hardest, is that we then begin to have to unload ourselves of that which we once thought was necessary, our egos, our power, our privilege. You ever know people who have that tendency to name drop all the time? That, that begins to go. These intricate things that we once thought were intricate to our identity and our purpose, we begin to see that we were programmed to have those values, but they may not necessarily be our internal values. And so in the midst of the storm, we begin to let go of that which is unnecessary and those things that we once believed was necessary. And then as soon as they begin to do this, the Bible says this. It had been many days since we had seen neither sun nor stars, wind and waves were battering us unmercifully, and we lost all hope. See, when you begin to let go of intricate parts of your identity that you thought were necessary, this is when you get to the darkest night, that winter solstice of the soul. And everyone on the ship lost all and utter hope. And it was at this point, it is at this point where the Apostle Paul, after giving his, I told you so, this is where the Apostle Paul stands up and says, friends, do not lose heart because God will do just what God said he will do. And that this moment is not the end of your story. See, when I grew up in a Pentecostal church, when I said that, what I just said, people would begin hooping and hollering and praising God because they understood the truth of that statement, that God will do precisely what it is that God said he will do and that this moment in this part of the storm, in the midst of all of your hopelessness, is not the end of your story. And then we get to the final point of how do we survive? The survival guide of how do you survive in the midst of the storm? And we see the Apostle Paul doing the oddest thing. He tells them, this is not the end of your story. You will survive. An angel of the Lord has come and proclaimed this to me. And then he says to them on the 14th day, as they have spent all of this, these two weeks fasting and not eating because of their anxiety and their worry and their fear, he says, come on, let's have a feast. It's an act of faith to begin to feast while you're still in the midst of the storm, trusting God that the shoreline is coming. And so what does it say that they do? Partook in the Eucharist. They broke bread and he gave thanks. And it is at that point that their faith and their hope is restored. And then it says immediately after that, that on that night, the sailors sensed that the land was approaching. And then about dawn, at daybreak, they saw that the land was in fact there. And everyone in fact survived. We see in this story that is so often not told, a point by point, I see a point by point 
survival guide to how do we endure storms in the midst of our faith so that as we come out of the storms, as we transition from the storms, we can have integrity and character. It requires discernment and listening to our inner being. It requires the capacity to undergird ourselves with prayer and with scripture and with community. And the most unlikely part of this is that it also calls us to break bread and to feast and celebrate. Psalms 37.3, trust in the Lord and feast on his faithfulness. And it is in that feasting on God's faithfulness that all of those, both believers and unbelievers who were on this ship, come, I think, into the saving knowledge that in the midst of the most terrible storms that we will endure, God has never left our side. You're not going to see Hillsong United write a song about, about Acts 27. This is not Peter walking across the water and seeing Jesus, tangibly seeing Jesus in front of him. This is a faith story that requires us to frap ourselves and to undergird ourselves in the midst of heartache and pain and in barren seasons. And so my prayer is that if you go back and read this, whatever st storm of life you may encounter and whatever season you may currently be in, that you would remember that sermons are meant to build forth a treasure trove an anchoring device to help us endure in the midst of life. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for your light and your salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord God, I thank you that your word says to trust in you, to not lean on our understanding. And what was read this morning in Isaiah, for your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. Thank you for your faithfulness towards us, even in the midst of the unfaithfulness within church. Thank you, Lord God, that despite our humanity and our frailty, the light of your son, Jesus Christ, shines through. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the capacity to continue to walk in our Christian faith, understanding the truth that in every season of life, you walk alongside of us. I thank you, God, for your spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh that is always interceding on our behalf, and for your son that sits on the right-hand side of your throne that is also interceding for us as well. I pray that you meet every single person in this room, meet our needs, remind us of once lost hopes and dreams. Revive in us, Lord God, a spirit a spirit that can see what it is that you are doing in and through our lives. And I pray this in the matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.